It's the Dojo Podcast. One listener phrased it best. Annoying but helpful. So, if on Thursdays you need to be annoyed but helped, give us a listen. What's that now? Dojo. Okay, I'm ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? I think you're ready. All right, well, we're here with Denis. I'm going to mess this up. Bowyer. Bowyer. Bowyer, yes, very well. All right, our good friends at IAQ Radio, if you are not aware or familiar, need to get familiar. These are the OGs of restoration podcasting. They were podcasting before podcasting was a thing. Every Friday, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, which is 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Um, they are live on the airwaves. Well, and sometimes they do recap shows. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to do a recap show this week and just drop an old episode in and let it run. Um, but if you know me, that's probably not going to happen. So here we are. I'm going to try to fuse together a few things and get that dropped if I can do it in time. I will do it in time. It will be done. Uh, it may not be great, but it will be done. So I've also, you can see in the corner, a friend of mine is considering entering the podcasting ranks. And I would encourage any of you, if you're considering, you got something to share, share it. You know, your unique perspective. I would greatly encourage you, don't just regurgitate whatever you heard from the latest whoever business podcasting guru, but um, share from your unique perspective, your experiences. This is what has worked and this is what has not worked for me. Um, but there's there's plenty of room and uh, it can be a great thing for your business, whether that's a local restoration company or coaching, consulting, whatever. You want to write an article, write an article, submit it to R&R, CNR, Clean Facts. If I can do it, you can do it. I guarantee you. Uh, if you ever want a sounding board, please reach out. Um, I think I've told you, my, my friend Jarrett Steer, He's uh, he was just at the house this week and recorded. He's getting back. His The GMS podcast is back. Uh, he was pivotal in helping me uh, launch ours, take my videos and convert them into audio. Eric and Larry from Blue Collar Nation, now Super Tech University. Uh, really, really boring. No, they, yeah. they, they were just like fall the, asleep the too. You could play them at night and you could just pass out. Well, let's, I mean, say it to Jared's face. I mean, <laughs> you know, it was like, it was just. This is, this is actually, Jared, this is an intervention. Um, we're all really concerned. That, you know, we're not actually podcasting, Jared. It's just to get you know, John's obviously been reading my reviews. Yeah. Um, those guys have been very, very supportive. I think you'll find, um, you know, I was recently on. Rico's podcast for Restoration Domination, um, Ben Riccardi's podcast for Ironclad Ironclad Restoration Marketing. Um, you know, everybody's been very supportive and embraceive. There's plenty of room for more and um, fresh perspectives, and certain people are going to gravitate towards certain elements. So, um, you know, Restoration Domination, um, he's pulling from a lot of different uh, angles and, and great perspectives in and outside of the industry. Jarrett does a beautiful job of, you know, since he's in the industry, but he's a service provider, he asks questions and doesn't allow people to get away with industry speak, which I love. 
Blue Collar Nation um, is geared more towards the business owner and really helping entrepreneurs. Um, IQ Radio is like a college level course um, in um, in restoration. You know, they just they're pulling from the big dogs, people you know that have really been in the trenches and forming the industry. Um, and, and related, you know, with IEQ, IEPs, that's um, indoor air quality, indoor environmental professionals, those kinds of things. And so there's just a wealth of information. And if you've got drive time, which we usually have in this industry, it's a, it's a great time to kind of elevate your personal and professional development by just listening to a podcast here and there. So this is my attempt at a recap, a blended recap. So here we go. If you noticed, we're retro. That's the retro intro for the Diojo podcast compliments. The visual and the audio was put together by Ed Cross. Hey, Ed. Um, I just I want people to know that I'm serious about what I do. So I've been talking to him a lot about how we train and follow the IICRC standard. With the standard of care. That's what I thought. Thanks for confirming that. Um, I'm thinking about putting it in our, our proposals and in our contracts. Don't, don't. Don't put that in your contract. But I want people to know that we're serious. We, we do it right. With the standard of care. But do not write into your contract that you're going to perform the work according to IICRC standards. Are you sure? It's not going to help you sell any jobs. It's going to marry you to these thick documents. They're hundreds of pages long. And all the plaintiff's attorney has to do is point to one sentence in there that you didn't strictly comply with, and they'll be able to shout about, you know, breach of contract. Uh, that doesn't sound good. You don't need that kind of headache. You may or may not know from the interview we uh, conducted with him early on that he was a drummer and had an opportunity to try out for Alice Cooper's band, um, which uh, he thought he had and didn't get. Uh, spoiler alert, but uh, go back and listen to that episode. It's a, a history of collaboration, a future of advocacy. It was an article in R&R as well as an accompanying video um, with Ed and so that's uh he put that together graciously for us and um we are now going retro into a discussion with uh one of my key mentors denis uh from episode 15 of the podcast what would you say you do here here, here. the diojo podcast. podcast uh let's see what year did we it was 2001 right and yes Two thousand one service master in Ventura, California. I was applying to anything and everything, and there was an ad for carpet cleaning at this place called Service Master, and it wasn't even like, yeah, that's what I want to do. It's just blah 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 blah. I got to get a job. Tallest man probably I've interviewed with uh, shortest shorts. I think he <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he liked to wear those uh, classic tennis shorts, and um, yeah. so. Anyways, I was going to school for criminal justice, and I remember he said, with your background in science, you'd be really good in our mold remediation division that we're starting. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I would. <laughs> Do you have any experience? No, sir, I have no experience, but I'm a big fan of money. I like it. I use it. I have a little. I keep it in a jar on top of my refrigerator. I'd like to put more in that jar. <laughs> and then I think I interviewed with you, 
And then I get in there, it's completely new to me, but come to find out, I think you had only been there maybe six months or a year, right? Yeah, probably not, not more than that, yeah. You were thinking you would just get a job cleaning carpets and upholstery and make your yeah. money that way? So, so I put in the application and I met with Edgar in his little shorts. Tallest man, the uh, shortest shorts. <laughs> <laughs> And he said, well, you know, this uh, new business of uh, mold remediation is just uh, really starting to take uh, place in here. Uh, maybe you'd like to, or maybe you'd be interested in starting up a, a business uh, in, or in mold remediation. Yeah. And I said, well, that's, that's interesting. Tell me more. In each of your spots, right, you're going to places where you have no prior direct experience, but you yes. have relevant experience. I I don't think I can stress this enough. There is a, a great interest in our industry to hire people plug and play, right? We're going to hire somebody that has experience in our industry, and since somebody else has trained them, we're just going to plug and play. No, you are so dumb. So we do a quick interview. We get a good feel about um, them, and we're just going to plug and play them into a role and they're going to take off you are really dumb for real and what's wrong with that scenario is just because somebody has experience doesn't mean they know how to do it your unique way or even the right way and so when you take somebody with low or little experience little direct experience but relevant experience think about the things that you're really looking for in the role, you know, so say project management, it's really a customer service role that you need some background, some understanding of the technical skills, but the high priority is on the people or the soft skills, um, dealing with customer satisfaction, those kinds of things. So you're either, you're taking somebody with a lot of industry experience that you're going to have to spend some time retraining and oftentimes that can be harder than it sounds because if somebody's been doing it a certain way for two three five seven years that can be hard to retrain as opposed to somebody who has no direct experience no bad habits in that particular field they can still have bad personal habits um, but you're not retraining some of those bad ingrained industry specific habits so having the vision to see the difference between the two uh, and especially training and elevating from within which is what thankfully Denis did with me he had trained me I had no experience in restoration didn't I had construction experience I didn't realize this industry existed um, and what we get to in that interview is what brought me into management was poor managers so they would bring in managers that didn't respect our team and didn't do a good job of elevating what was already a good team and so i said well if you're going to keep bringing these people in then i'm i'm going to put i'm going to respond to the interest you have in me and being in management because i don't want another one of those and so uh that was you know understanding that a leader's role is to develop more leaders not just to keep themselves safe in whatever spot they're in we're talking about um, leadership quotes so i got a few of my friends and peers so we got mike kinney with copper top construction there in eugene oregon this is a snip of episode 12 of the dojo podcast leadership quotes i wrote an article where i asked a bunch of people 
for leadership quotes and some of their commentary classified that I think into three or four categories that was in Restoration and Remediation magazine. And so I brought two of my friends, Mike Kinney, who at the time owned and operated um, Copper Top Construction, moving from a, a long career managing other people with Les Schwab. Did you see the memo about and decided to take a bet on himself and go into the construction field as an entrepreneur. And then my good friend David Smith, who uh, I worked with in Eugene, we worked in tandem to build up a mitigation department within a, um, a large national brand. Yeah, 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 I have the memo right here. I just uh, forgot. And we learn a lot of things together, complementing our styles. I like to be out in the field. I like to grow relationships and um, like to spend as little uh, amount of time in the office as possible. I'm going to need you to go ahead and come in tomorrow. So if you could be here around 9, that would be great. Okay. And David, on the other hand, his skills were complementary in the sense that he loved being in the office, being in an ordered and structured environment. And um, so we structured our team to be the best we could be to complement each other's strengths. And it worked very well. So discipline equals freedom, uh, Jocko Willings. Be tougher. What up? That's all you got to do. Quit being a baby. You don't develop. Just be tougher. Next. And um, for me, it just means, you know, any kind of goals you have, any, you know, whether it's work goals, financial goals, life goals, um, it takes discipline to reach those goals. And so if you don't have structured systems in place and programs that you can follow, you know, the, the odds of reaching those goals are very slim, you know, so yeah. that discipline equals freedom is it's, the hardest thing is to be disciplined to get there. But if you can, that is where the freedom comes from. So for me, it's just, I think about that all the time, whenever I'm trying to accomplish something, you know, it's the, it's the details, it's the little things each step of the way that will actually get you to that end goal. And it, if you can focus on those, you can get there where if you're thinking big picture and you want to go from point A to point Z, you know, instantly it, it's the odds aren't in your favor so so for me it's just uh it's been a good reminder i always think of that that in the hard times doing the things that you don't really necessarily want to do but you know they're going to inch you closer to your goals that's that's part of it for me it's just like that discipline of sticking to it will will get me there so. david smith you're also in eugene oregon so this is a real diverse panel um do you have any thoughts on that david how discipline equals freedom when you're working and managing other people? Yeah, definitely with structure, you know, Mike hit it right on the head. You know, structure is vital towards a, a team's discipline and your own discipline. Um, we had the same kind of similar experience where we had a structure um, where we had the right amount of management in place and the right amount of field workers in place that, you know, could actually work together and handle the load. And then once people started leaving and, you know, your structure kind of, once you don't have those people in place that know what to do, yeah. um, you can't just, you know, somebody that is well-versed in multiple trades, you know, you can't have them fill in and it just throws a wrench into your production and it just causes, you know, 
kind of a chaos uh, atmosphere to it. And that really starts messing with, with everything. Your structure really does lead to, to discipline it. You know, it allows you to, you know, free yourself up and your team up, you know, to focus on, you know, the steps that got you to where you were, you know, to be successful. And then once uh, it's just kind of a trickle effect, once that happens, you know, it just goes downhill from there. You know, once you start losing that structure, uh, you start losing your discipline as well. So what happened? He lost it. We put out a few teasers for book number four, how to not suck at estimating habits for better project outcomes, <clears throat> which is also a course that's going to be delivered through Restoration Technical Institute. So here's a little clip of the first module that'll whet your appetite for the book and the course. Does it inherently mean that you suck at estimating if you're in this course? But let's start with some tough love, all right? Ready for this? Here goes. You suck. Yeah, probably does. Better claims outcomes the dojo through better mindset and habits for estimating insurance claims okay. a lot of the principles are those that come out of my mediocre book be intentional estimating okay. the guiding principle i think that is most helpful to everybody in this chain everybody in your organization everybody should understand the claim standard I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Name standard is restoring your property to pre-loss conditions with material to resemble pre-loss conditions with materials of like kind and quality. No more and no less. We're going to get into more of what that means in the following modules, but um, I think it's an important thing, even as an aspiring uh, professional, a technician, when you arrive. You know, Mr. or Mrs. Homeowner, this is what our commitment is. The people, whoever's answering the phone can say, hey, we are a company that is committed to the claim standard. We want to do everything in our power to help you restore your property to resemble pre-loss conditions with materials of like kind and quality, no more and no less. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. If you follow the Diojo podcast regularly, you're probably like, when's this book going to come out already? Working on it. I'm working on it. But uh, if you're new, then <laughs> you're a nice, pleasant surprise, right? So it will be coming soon. If you want information now, thediojo.com forward slash book four. And um, the course will be coming out through Restoration Technical Institute. The book is just shy of being ready for publication on Kindle and uh, paperback. I am going to try to do an audible audio book, audible book, harder than it sounds. And, um, and then the course, uh, we've recorded, uh, module one, but have to get all the other modules recorded. So we're a little ways out. going to try to release obviously all the content together. So stay tuned. I was so fortunate to find, um, you know, this book, Organizational Physics, The Science of Growing a Business by Lex Sisney. Man, I don't know how many businesses I've seen that have grown too fast too soon. You know, they don't have the systems in place to manage the growth. And so they just end up biting off too much, 
you know, more than they can chew and they tank. You, you know you, you need to grow to, in order to survive, but it can be as dangerous to grow too quickly and too often people just think, well, I'll just do what I've always done and that'll be fine and I'll just, you know, um, times that by 10 and we'll be fine, you know. No, you are so dumb. Um, yeah, I, I try not to fanboy on much, but uh, I sincerely, this organizational physics by Lex Sisney, uh, top-notch uh, just takes a scientific approach to scaling your business it's designed for much larger businesses as uh, Lex talked about in the uh, podcast episode that we did with him episode 22 but he recently released design to scale how to structure your business for exponential growth which he's about to talk about David mentioned it um, in reference to Mike's quote <laughs> And uh, we'll get back with David here shortly. Uh, but that brought up a point from Lex about structure. Structure is very misunderstood concept. Um, and growing without losing your soul. But just as a humble brag, a highlight, one of the highlights of my career in the testimonials for Lex's latest book, Designed to Scale, is a quote from me. John Isaacson, the Intentional Restorer, author and host of the Diojo podcast. So you'll have to take a look at the book to see that. But uh, definitely a, a personal highlight that was really nice for him to include that and to reach out. So um, it's I, I would encourage you, uh, Pete Consigli and Lex both said the same thing. You're, I don't know if Lex said bastard, but Pete said I'm a persistent bastard as far as reaching out to him to try to get aspects of restoration history. We can Sigley Global Watchdog. We have the website currently working on that, propertyrestorationhistory.com, learn from our history. Uh, but sometimes just reaching out to people uh, multiple times can um, net you a result. So, uh, And I found most people in our industry that have a lot to say, a lot of value to bring, are pretty open when people ask them questions, uh, I think it is important to be respectful of people's time. So there may come a time, I have a quick question for you, yada, yada. There may come a time where it's like, maybe I should ask if it's appropriate to try to hire you to be a consultant. I would strongly encourage you. It's a personal pet peeve of mine. If you're reaching out to a consultant or somebody for even um, you know, a mentorship role, is try to be as specific as possible about the need that you're wanting them to help you solve. You don't want to be a blank checkbook, but set yourself and them up for success by having some idea of the scope you want to address, the duration and the budget that you have. You know, because give give people an opportunity to say, no, that's I'm sorry, that's not a great fit, but maybe I recommend these people to help you with that particular aspect and do some of your research. Is this person the right fit for the issue that you're trying to tackle? Uh, anyways, that's a kind of a personal rant, but um, you know, I was on a, a high horse and, and, and riding high because, uh, because of the inclusion, but um, here's a, a part of our conversation with Lex that I wanted to fold into this recap that uh, I'm now producing. <laughs> you are really dumb, for real. Structure is very misunderstood concept. Yeah, it's not the org chart. It's not reporting lines. It's it. You know, if you look at all the all the business terms and concepts out there, I would rank structure as the most misunderstood. Huh. Uh, but think of it like this: design controls behavior, 
right? How anything's designed determines how it, how it performs and every organization has a design to it. There are key parts in, in, in an organization's development where you need to work at a structural level. Uh, and if you can work at that structural level and realign the structure to the next stage strategy, then it actually makes doing things that everybody's aware of, like having a better culture, hiring yeah. great talent, uh, being able to delegate, yeah. right? Being able to execute across multiple businesses simultaneously or business units simultaneously. All those things are enabled by structure. It's just not widely uh, understood yet. So structure in your structure would be different than processes? Structure? Well, Processing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from, if you think about it like this, uh, human body, yeah. the stru structure would be akin to the, the, the skeletal system, right? Yeah. If, if my hips out of alignment yeah. or a bad, a curved spine, no matter what I do, I'm going to be yeah. in pain. I'm going to suffer. I'm not going to move very well. I'm not going to be very agile. Right. Well, that's a great analogy too. Cause your body can adapt to that abnormality, now, right? Now adapt, right? The wrong way. And now adjust to the yeah. abnormality. We do that all the time in businesses. Yeah. Now yeah. then, if structure is a skeletal system, then processes would be akin to the circulatory system. Okay. The neural network, yeah. right? That it, with, now think about that. Without process, the skeleton's a dead system. Yeah. You got to have good structural alignment, but then equally important, you have to marry that with the right processes to bring that yeah. structure alive, be able to delegate. Yeah. But with the right visibility and control to unlock innovation so there's a dance there and i kind of specialize in working at those two levels structure and process by the way just quick aside that's one of the other things that confuses people about structure is uh people equate can equate even experts equate structure and process as the same sure and they're not yeah right? yeah they can't yeah, but they're distinct they're you very connected as, yeah. yeah they're interdependent but you have to treat them as distinct things or think about them in that way so huh. for example uh you you should have a top-down structure yeah right yeah however top-down structure doesn't mean an, a, a dictatorship right 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 yeah the only reason to have a structure is to push authority down yeah so that those closest to doing the work have the autonomy to make decisions yeah right and get the work done yep so if you if you conflate those two in your mind that structure and process are the same you come up with all kinds of crazy workarounds yeah. that like you said are just mal maladaptations one of the quotes I love from the book, Design to Scale, and I've included it in my upcoming book, uh, How to Not Suck at Estimating, which will also be a um, course that will be delivered through Restoration Technical Institute, is inertia essentially means that things tend to keep on doing what they've been doing until acted upon by a force of change. And so you have to confront your natural tendency to just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, we talk about this all the time in our company, uh, our small company in Puyallup. We've got together a group of people, and oftentimes when we're most frustrated, it's because we're falling back into habits from places we've been uh, that's just a way to get through, right? And so not necessarily that they're negative or but they're not what we wanted to do they're not why we signed up to work together right there's they're not moving us forward they're keeping us s static or holding us back and so 
I myself have to confront. Okay, am I frustrated because I'm actually changing my mindset and habits or am I frustrated because I'm falling back into old mindset and habits and they're not helping me move through or past where I am? Well, I can remember when I was still managing a division in Eugene, I got a hold of your book. I've got it up there, the organizational physics and you very graciously talked to me early on. Um, I, I think our first interview was uh, I had a little recorder that I bought at Best Buy and, and we were over the speakerphone. But uh, so that, that structural analogy, you'll probably appreciate this. So when I got my uh, an opportunity to run a shop in Seattle, mm-hmm. I thought um, I thought thinking people would be more like myself, right? So I thought I'll bring the right people in and then we'll decide on the structure together and we'll implement it. What oh, yeah. I learned is not everybody's a builder, right? And not it, it doesn't um, poo-poo on anybody's skills and abilities, just not everybody's wired that way to build the structure. Right. A lot of people need the structure, the boundaries, right? Yeah. Uh, which is a lot of the way my wife and I do our parenting is you set the boundaries and then people can thrive, but yeah. not everybody is going to set the skeleton a- up. Yeah, it's not a natural way of thinking. Uh, one way to think about it is: uh, Do you ever play play Dungeons and Dragons? I haven't. I've got you get plenty content, of friends. Right? Yeah. So imagine a, a group of friends sitting down to play a board game, but there's no goals, structure, yeah. rules, yeah. Role, roles to be performed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's not going to be a lot of fun. And one way to think about the journey from an entrepreneur is to CEO is as an entrepreneur, you're like the best player at the game. Yeah, you know, you it's in your DNA. You're fast thinking. You take risks. You kind of innately know what to do, and people kind kind of you know rally around that skill. But as the business goes in complexity, the entrepreneur has to shift to be more of you know what would be equivalent in in D and D to like a, a dungeon master. Yeah, or the game master. Sure, He's sure. More focused now and ensuring a good experience and the right design. Right. That game for the rest of the players. Right, right. To make right. it enjoyable. Yep. Can, yeah, but so. Uh, a democratic process to design a structure yeah. can actually really backfire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean you don't take into account other perspectives, but you got to have some principles, right? You yeah. don't design around people. You design around principles. Yep. People yep. change, principles don't. So here's yeah. the design principles we're using. Okay, that makes it safe to get feedback and perspective on the roles people want to play. Right. Not everyone should report to me because I'm the best. Right, right. right. Yeah. I tried to, I tried to flatten too soon. I think, you know, I think it is important, you know, you've got to, like you're talking about, you've got to set it up and set the boundaries and whatnot. And so what you're doing is terrific. Minerals and proficiency. This outlet, the Diojo podcast folks should be listening to you. (laughs) What the industry needs is conversations like this. Branch like Like no other. Terrific. This may be a little difficult to decipher. This is a TikTok I recorded and posted, so it's me on a walk sharing some thoughts on supervisory labor. Okay, I'm going to try not to ramble too much and jump around, try to stay on one concept because I only have three minutes, but this is, I want to talk about labor supervisory hours in insurance claims. Most of this is geared towards the repairs or reconstruction side, but it could apply to mitigation as well. So in the insurance realm, actually let's back up, in the construction realm, labor supervisory is something 
that is regularly charged for, but it is embedded in the pricing, the lump sum pricing. So for the consumers out there, if you hired someone to come remodel your kitchen, you might get a one page document that says kitchen remodel, maybe some rough specifications like soft closed doors, oak cabinets, quartz countertops, under cabinet lighting, farm style sink, that kind of thing. And then a price. That's a lump sum price. It's common. There's nothing wrong with that. In insurance, typically most carriers prefer to see estimates itemized in what's unit pricing and or standardized pricing. Uh, a lot of times a program called Xactimate is used um, to create these estimates and it's room by room, line by line. So in that unit or standardized pricing, those items like supervisory, overhead and profit are not embedded in the cost. They're separated out as an additional line item. Labor supervisory is an additional line item to be considered. And then overhead and profit is usually a markup at the end of the estimate. Those are uncommon to the majority of construction projects other than maybe government work. So it's important for the consumer and the contractor to understand that's kind of a unique element of insurance claims contracting. Um, but labor supervisory is uh, one of the main things I want to talk about is even contractors misunderstand that that is not an overhead cost. Overhead is your indirect cost, things that are not specifically attributed to the job. Whereas supervisory, someone going on site, meeting with the client, lining out the project, making sure materials there, being there at key intervals, those are direct costs. They are things that should be charged for and not lumped into your overhead. Uh, they are direct costs, and if they're not accounted for or approved on the front end, they should be accounted for along the way with details for the project and submitted as a supplement. Uh, more on this coming. I'm running out of time. Let me know what you think. Dojo. Let's get into your quote, David. It was uh, either you you know, either you run the day or the day runs you. Mm. Uh, it was by Jim Rohn. Uh, he... I actually ran into him, uh, listened to on Entree Leadership. Entree Leadership. And good. Like you buy a car you can't afford and everybody thinks you're making it. Look at George. George is doing good. Did you see that car he bought? That job must be kicking it. All George got was a payment coming out of his freaking ear holes. You are the one that controls how your day goes and, you know, your setup. You know, like, like Mike was saying, you know, your routines. You know, you're in control of that. You know, if you have, you know, those people that get up, work out, or, or have breakfast, or whatever the routine is, you know, it just allows them to create this fresh mindset, you know, what am I going to accomplish today, as opposed to those people that, you know, get up last second, rushing, you know, get in the shower, rush to work, you know, they're just rushing and not actually sitting down and taking the time to gather themselves, take care of themselves, and put a plan together to how they're going to accomplish the day, and you know, what their main focus is going to be. So what happened? He lost it! <laughs> In the place that we were at, you don't control the workload, right? I mean, you know, we worked for companies that um, made agreements to, you know, uh, I know at the at, uh, Schwab's, like the customer comes in, they have certain policies that you just, you do it. And then mm -hmm. we worked, um, 
you know, we were a smaller market for Belfour, so we did a lot of program work. So if the work came in, you know, it didn't matter when it came in, we were expected to do it. Kind of touching on control what you can control. You mentioned previously not being overwhelmed. How did you, in a system where it's just continually <laughs> a tidal wave of work, how did you um, handle, you know, trying to, um, you know, run your day? What were some of the disciplines that helped you? Trying to have the same structure throughout the day. Obviously, there is going to be a rinse run up, but like, you know, if you look at emails first thing in the morning or meet with your crews or, you know, you spend a couple hours late morning, you know, dealing with your customers, you know, trying to keep to your same routines and your schedule, um, that is key. You know, yes, you're not going to be able to keep up with the workload, but if you try to keep the same structure and mentality, you know, you can come close to, you know, producing the same results, you know, that you have, you know, when you actually have this, you know, the, the manpower and the workloads manageable. Yeah. But ties into even that concept you mentioned, Mike, the extreme ownership, like you've got to own your part of it, right? How about you, Mike, as far as like running the day, what were, you talked about, you like to wake up early. What I found was, you know, especially being by myself for most of last, or all of last year, really, um, I would be on jobs and I couldn't tend to some of the business stuff yeah. like I wanted to during the day. Cause I was constantly in this mode of choosing, you know, okay, if I break away from this job to go do a bid or to go meet with another client or to handle back office business stuff that I was taking away from that client's experience and their project. Yeah. So there was this constant, uh, just kind of tug of, I don't feel comfortable with this. And so, I chose to get up back at my normal time early to where I could still have some time for, you know, growth and learning, you know, reading in the mornings, just mentally relaxing. And then I can jump right into getting some of the back office business stuff done before my family's up, before any of that hits or anybody else is out doing work. You know, I've got all that stuff done, whether it's bidding jobs, running invoices, making sure my books are in line. I could do all that in the morning while I'm sipping on coffee and yeah. get that out of the way before the day ever begun. Whoever stopped at a laundromat in Southeast LA and gone in to get quarters out of the bins of the dryer to get enough gas to get to a loss. I have. Book, my life is one disaster after another. Opportunity is that fleeting moment between everyone saying it can't be done and everyone doing it. This year at the uh, Restoration Industry Association Conference, the speaker, I got to be honest, I was kind of thinking, man, I'm not super excited about the topic this speaker is speaking on. It was, I don't remember what it was titled, but <clears throat> she said uh, in regards to time management, which I, is an issue for all of us, right? Like there's only so many hours in the day. That's the whole nature of Lex's book is you have limited time and resources. So how do you determine what is best to focus your time and resources on individually and as a team? And how do you divide that up in order to scale? And so on an individual level, one of the things she spoke about was don't think in terms of time management. Think in terms of attention management. And while that might not sound like that um, crazy, it, it's really t falls in line to me that falls in line with the quality over quantity. So 
we try to have one meeting a week and try to cram as much as we can into that one meeting. So there's nothing, in order to do that, there's nothing more important in that meeting than that meeting. So we have to set aside time for it. We have to time manage, right? Our PM set aside time for it. But then we need to do... Um, you know, attention management. If we're going to get the most out of it, we need everybody listening. It's difficult for us because we're all sitting at our desk. We have a shared space. And so it's very easy to get distracted, checking an email. You're doing something good, right? But what we need, what's best is for us to focus on this meeting for right now and making sure that we're inputting and respecting each other's time. And so that's a good reminder um, and, and a good shift of mindset that better equips your habits for success because it, I'm not just managing my time, I manage my attention. So, and what I found in most things, especially when you're behind, is what I need to do is if I'm in that file, I'm writing the estimate or I'm updating the notes or whatever it is. While I am in that file, that's my sole focus, and try to do everything I can in that file. So for us right now, maybe we're updating notes in Alacrity or a TPA program, but we also have our internal notes, and uh, the customer needs an update. All those programs need an update. Maybe the adjuster needs an update. What can I do to do everything I can in this file, not leave all the tabs open, right? So I've got 10% done on this, 30% done on this, 60% done on this. Can I get 60% across the finish line by just cementing an hour? And something for us is very important is notes. Um, you know, we do program work. Oh my gosh. And so, you know, there's copious amounts of notes, but rather than, um, and they expect them at minimum once a week, we try to do what we call proactive communication. So, Okay, the insurance company, the program wants these notes every Thursday, right? Or that's the precedent I set. So on Thursdays, I'm going to do all my program notes. I'm going to update the customer at that same time, update the adjuster, go through any supplements, make sure my subs are on track, yada, 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 right? Do everything you can in that file. T not just time management. I've blocked the time out, but attention management. And I think you'll find, you know, you rather than having all those open tabs, you try to get them across the finish line and complete them out. And, um, you know, you start to chip away at that backlog and, and it helps. And so, but on the, on the flip side, honestly, it's tricky sometimes because when you have downtime or free time, sometimes it's recovery, you know, just mentally and physically recovering, but also it's tempting not to use that to the fullest. <laughs> and so sometimes we're all better, uh, we're more efficient under pressure, you know, which is a reality. But if you can, sorry, if you're watching the video, I'm scratching my eyes out because um, we've got cottonwood all over the place. So this is going to be a great a great summer with regards to allergies here in Washington. So anyways, enough with the sidetrack. Let's, uh, let's close out with uh, a few words of wisdom from our friend, Denis. If you give somebody the opportunity to a take ownership of what they're doing, I'm ready to go in coach. Just give me a chance. Give them the ability to make their own decisions, whether it's a right or a wrong decision. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. They'll find out if it's a right or a wrong decision. Yeah. And I always gave people the, the, um, the uh, ability to, to bring something to the forefront. So yep. if they had an idea, we explored it. 
you know. Yeah. So in, in the hiring process, I wanted to find out, you know, what what they're made of. Um, what, what, what were their successes? What were their failures? And uh, what, they, what they felt that they could bring to a table that they've never brought to the table before. Huh. So when you're, looking, when, you're, when you're looking at somebody, you want to find out what, you know, what drives them. Yeah. So people that want to learn, people that, that, that want to do that, you know, to take pride in what they're doing. Yeah. Whether, it's, whether it's picking trash or, you know, being the manager. Yeah. You know, are you going to take pride in ownership of your job? Yeah. So find those people. And actually, a lot of times they work out better than, than the people that have all these certificates, you know? Yeah. Because so, uh, uh, trust me, after you've left, I did hire a guy who had, I think he had like 10 or, 10 or 11 different certificates. So a lot of this has been maybe geared more towards the owner or manager, but, um, you know, thinking outside of the box, discipline equals uh, freedom insofar as developing your structure, you control your day or do what you control, what you can control. Um, even if that's a, an unrealistic workload, again, structuring your own day. Lex Sisney talked on a much larger scale about the the understanding really what structure is. And I think that can apply to whether you're leading yourself, leading a small team, leading a large team, moving into project management, general management, estimating, and even, um, you know, small business owner, large but excuse me, large business owner, um, a lot of these principles apply. And so uh, it just, a lot of it comes down to getting, hopefully this podcast is one of those outlets where it helps um, <clears throat> tease your mind and, and encourage your mind to think maybe just a little bit differently about problems that we all face and tweak your habits. You know, what do you need to, something I learned from an article from Lex Sisney, what do you need to stop doing and what do you need to start doing? What do you need to stop doing that's holding you back, you know, and being honest with yourself? What do you need to start doing that will help creep you towards where you want to go, what you need to be to get to that next step? And, um, and, and then repeating that process with your team. Hang on a second. What is one thing that you need to stop doing that's holding you back? What is one thing you think you need to start doing? And it's a good way of trying to focus your energies on the right thing. So... Um, Denis and I obviously have a lot of fun stories. He's, uh, the first one I worked with and I was very thankful to be paired with a good mentor early on, uh, and a good team. And, um, so here's, I, I mentioned this a little bit in the project management book about being tested in my first management role and, um, some of the conflicts there. Got a problem on your project? Blame your subcontractors. Be a project manager my new book so you want to be a project manager is available we had we had a rough team we had um, guys that had done some time and those kind of things and so um, you know great workers great people to be around people that uh, were trying to do the right things and you know provide for their families um, but there was there there was a learning curve as it relates to what you think, you know, leadership and management is going to be and how you start to find your voice and how you shift from, hey, we're equals in, you're never, leadership doesn't make you above anyone, right? But just my roles and my responsibilities are now different. 
And it's not just about me and my immediate team being successful. How do I make the whole team successful? And so those are challenges. Um, and some of those challenges are really tried to tackle in the third book. So you want to be a project manager. You may be very proficient in the technical skills, but you need help with your soft skills and your leadership skills. And uh, that was part of the target or the motivation behind that book to help people. This is what you need to do to take those next steps. So here's maybe you'll think this is funny, maybe not. Man, I got razzed pretty good. And so I've never been a tough guy. You know, I've always diffused things with humor and whatnot. But I think probably day one, it was like, you know, hey, we're going to F you up and we're, you know, we're going to make your life miserable and stuff like that. And, and I remember thinking I was scared, you know, but I remember thinking like, well, let's go behind the dumpster. So at least it's not on camera. <laughs> and I think um, that kind of, um, you know, off the bat, it diffused the situation, you know, um, and, and, and made for a better working environment. And those guys were really good, but it was, it was tough. I think, you know, for me, as I was learning management, the biggest thing was, like you said, allowing people to make mistakes. You know, I think I would come with ideas and you'd be like, all right, well, let's try it, you know? And then, you know, I don't remember, <laughs> I don't remember anything failing, but, uh, you know, some things weren't as successful as others, you know. Oh. What the hell are we doing here, Harry? But if you're a smart manager, you're always going to look for people who are smarter than you. Because yeah. that's going to make you better. So as a manager, you know, you always want to hire people that, that are uh, self-driven. Yeah. Who have good ideas. And uh, that can only complement you as a manager. So the more people that you, that you uh, surround yourself with, um, uh, with group, good ideas, or at least you know, willing to, to try the same things that you're willing to try, yeah, and give you an opportunity, it's, it's only going to make you better or make your company better. Thank you once again for listening to the Diojo podcast. We are infotainment. We are trying to entertain you while we inform you. We're trying to helping you shorten your dang learning curve. Thank you as always to our sponsors, the Restoration Industry Association, Office Services by Brandy, Restoration Technical Institute, and the Institute of Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification. If you'd like information about being a sponsor of the podcast, give us a shout-out, iz at thediojo.com. Um, thanks to recent um, guest uh, opportunities, we were on a panel about documentation with Clean Facts Magazine with Bruce DeLoach and Jeremy Reitz. Thank you to Jeff Cross and team. Um, I was recently on Restoration Domination with Rico Garcia Jr. and Ironclad Restoration Marketing Podcast with Ben Ricciardi. So you can check those out. And our good friend, Jarrett Steer, he's back on the saddle. these so this is when we all did <laughs> GMS podcast um, that will be coming out soon thank you all for coming out tonight I just want you to know I believe in you I believe there's 
a little baby estimator inside of each one of you. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Yeah. 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 Do you believe with my help, you can make that little baby estimator, you can make your little baby career grow and blossom? Yeah. 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 We want to share with you the wisdom of the ages, the secrets of the sages. Make your little baby estimator grow. Yeah! I'm parched. Sharing all this knowledge with you. But you're just going to have to wait a little bit longer. What? What? No! No! Yeah, my book, How to Not Suck at Estimating Habits for Better Project Outcomes, subtitle, part of the Be Intentional series from the Diojo. We're not quite done with it yet. What? What? Ah! But wait, wait, before you rush the stage, just remember, Be Intentional Estimating, my first book, it's out there. You can get your little baby growing. Your baby estimator can start to grow today. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. So just, you start reading that. We'll keep working on the other book, book number four. And, and you just hold tight, but you get that puppy to grow. You feed it, you water it, you seed it, you water it, you put it in the sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How not to uh, suck at estimating copyright reserve, uh, Diojo 2019. Uh, books by the Intentional Restorer, John Isaacson, and uh, forthcoming, uh, currently available, Be Intentional Estimating on Amazon, paperback, and in Audible. Thing. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. As a contractor, customers always ask, when can you get started? Well, I just got here and we don't have an agreed scope or cost. Right, 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 I get that, but when can you get started? Agreed scope and cost, contract and deposit.